Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mount Westfire football podcast, where this week we picked a team for you, Matt. All right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yes, MWR.com is our website. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, MWR. Just search Mount Westwire. I think we're Mount MWC Wire on Twitter. I've been using Instagram a little bit, Mount Westwire there. So I put up a poll. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, basically, league only schedule or not, we'll see. But we're doing, Matt, your Fresno State Bulldogs. That is correct. Are you excited about the team this year or if there's a season of teams to pl- be played? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am actually. We'll get to the team there, but we have a little bit. We're actually doing news. Normally, we said we're going to do no news, but with it being recording, was this August second uh, day? Is that correct? Sun- uh, that, yeah, Sunday afternoon, August second. Uh, I was reading through a few things to get ready. So here's what we kind of know about the season. My Instagram poll. I don't think it's still up to a story. I think that's work. Stories are only like 24 hours. Is that correct? Is that your understanding? Yes. Okay. So I think I highlighted it so you take a peek at it. But basically, we have Pac-12 conference only slate starting. Third week of September. ACC, jokingly, or la- I'm going to laugh at them, they trade the muscle of the SEC, which is not going to work at all, with their um, 10 games plus one. Mm-hmm. The reason they want the plus one to keep like Florida, Florida State, um, Clemson, South Carolina. SEC, SEC goes, screw you, we're playing 10 games only conference. Big 10 doing nine games, is that correct? Conference only nine games, is that what their announcement was? I think so. I don't have the headlines. Of okay. So I'm not totally sure. I know they're talking about maybe actually some big news from Big Ten discussing all fall sports that may or may not happen, including football. So that's where we're at, which we lost lots of games. Fresno State's lost a couple. We'll get to that. But I guess the big news, the Mountain West, they had a meeting on Friday, just a couple days ago, July 31st. They're expected to make some announcement this week about fall sports. Would you take a game? Or are they going to go the Conference USA route saying you can schedule your eight games right now in league play and whoever else is available to play? I don't know if they're going to go to quite that extent. It would not surprise me, though, if they ended up doing a plus one because, you know, and this is something we brought up, I think, in the last time we talked about potential schedules. Like, if there's money to be made, like, they're, they're not going to walk away from those those handful of BYU matchups, for instance. Sure. And people want to say just screw BYU, but it's like, yes, but uh, 
why be a jerk in this situation, right? We don't have mm-hmm. to be. And I don't know what they'll do. I think they may lean toward that because the SC, how many SEC games do we have? I did articles at four, I think. Because you had Fresno, Texas A&M. You had yeah. Arkansas playing whoever they want to play and probably losing. <laughs> Was there a Vanderbilt and something else? There was like four games on the schedule. Yes. I wrote it up. I forget who. But at the point right now, eight, like it's it's an eight-league slate. It's tricky with Fresno. We'll get to a minute, but just they're not starting fall camp on time on the 7th. San Diego State is penciled in. Um, New Mexico already pushed back to start a fall camp. They may do a switcheroo with Idaho State and New Mexico State, which makes sense to open with that game two in-state opponents for week zero. But I I think they would – you think they do – they just go eight games plus plus one and probably be nice to BYU and add them up if, if necessary or play some rival nearby. That's uh, whatever rival there is. There's no real teams out left besides Pac-12. What, is that what you're kind of leaning toward? I mean, like I said before, you know, I think it's either, you know, the Pac-12 or the Big Sky. I think at this point the Big Sky seems most likely – so play Big Sky or just play BYU, I guess? Something like that, yeah. Okay. To, to, should we tell Mount West fans just who cares if it's BYU? They're a decent team. Tell me this, Matt. Would you rather play – you lost Texas A&M. We lost Colorado. Would you rather play UC Davis or BYU for a game if it happens this year? I think the bigger draw would be BYU for Yeah, sure. in general. It's like if you're Utah State – like, or that's my example they're playing. But like if you're a team that can play BYU or some UC, University of San Diego Torero is down at San Diego State, they already have the – I guess they have BYU as well, but you'd rather play the team. Like, Boise State would rather play Idaho, or excuse me, BYU is in Idaho. Or if you're, like, it's points. Like, you want to play a better team if you play eight or nine games. I'm, I'm wondering if they'll do nine plus one to get to ten, but I don't know. I think they're going to lean toward that because what's the point? Like, one, we'll get to Fresno in a minute, but, like, we've seen what's going on in baseball, right? Everything's going haywire. Yeah. They're doing seven inning doubleheaders, which is fine, and quirky and minor league-ish, which is fine. Their games have been canceled, postponed. Marlins, Cardinals, uh, what Phillies, all all handful. It's a lot. Too it's many. Like a third of the yeah, <laughs> too many to count, right at the moment. And so I get baseball travels more. You're thinking football. Okay, you're traveling five times a year. You mean or six or seven times a year? But you got a student population. You got all sorts of stuff going on. So like the travel wise is not a big deal. But it's like who's on campus to do it and to go play? Like so, like are they really want to risk and go? Not risk, but like. Do you want to go across the country to play somebody when the return on money's not there? Like, are you mm-hmm. going to go to play? Like, it would be kind of cool if you were to see, like, I'm going to do an article on it, like, just kind of teams out there. If we're going to schedule, like, move up Boise State, UCF. They lost for Florida State just the other day. Or do you want to say Florida Atlantic, who won 11 games, come out and play San Diego State? Or UNLV hosting BYU at the new stadium down there just to see what it's like? Like, is it worth risk doing playing UTEP and somebody or playing rice if you're um hawaii to travel that far i don't know probably not probably not so we'll see how it goes i i would lean toward them trying to be in between conference you're saying with every other league it's more like the acc schedule i think is where we're going to lean at rest at yeah pretty much but we'll see how the scheduling goes but uh there's something else i want to bring up but i space me so it must not be important all right should we get to fresno state now kind of the news is out of the way let's do it all right so last year fresno state was uh well not great. They took a little bit of a drop off, right? I would say that the you know if we wanted to boil it down to one word, um, they were definitely frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, kind of thinking about one of the questions that we got posed to us, I believe it was fat, uh, fake coach Mummy was wondering what the pandemic is doing to uh, the 
viticulture on campus. And, you know, I have to think that if there is a season that, you know, this year's Bulldogs won't be <laughs> driving people to drink so much, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's good or bad news for the, for the winery. <laughs> but, but, you know, if you look back on what the team actually accomplished last year, like there were plenty of things that they were either average or above average at. Like if you look on a points per drive basis, for instance, they were still above the national average on offense. You know, they were 53rd in the the country, 2.39 points per drive. And, you know, the defense could still create turnovers because they were plus four in the conference. Mm -hmm. And that was fourth overall among the 12 teams. But then, you know, if you break it down by what actually happened, they had some especially rough mistakes They had some stretches where the offense couldn't, you know, wasn't effective. They had more stretches where the defense was, you know, had had fallen way off from where they were from the heights of 2017, 2018. You know, on on a points per drive basis, they fell all the way from, you know, they were second in 2018 and 89th last year. And that really kind of tells you the entire story of the season, or at least one big part of it. Yeah, I would say far and away, though, they were the unluckiest team in the Mountain West, because when you look at their record in close games, no one really comes close. They were one in five in games decided by eight points or fewer. So, you know, while you take a look at all that and you say they probably deserved better than what they got last year, you know, you look forward to 2020 and now they're having to replace even more pieces. So you would expect them to maybe bounce back, but a, but a big bounce back in, on the, from like a 2016 to 2017 kind of bounce back is not necessarily a given. Yeah, it's never a given. It's like just turnover luck or it's the categories that aren't uh, controllable, controllable. You know what I mean? Like there's certain ones where yeah, you can, you're guaranteed to get better or, or you're never guaranteed to get better or worse, but there is some luck involved here and there. But yeah, defense wasn't terrible, but I think do we – where, where do you think the blame was last year? Was it the offensive line and quarterback situation not throwing to their tight end Rice last year who didn't get like his first touchdown to like week 10 or something? <laughs> That's a part I, of it I, too. I don't think you can necessarily pin it on one thing. I think, you know... Combination? One, you could say that maybe Fresno State fans got spoiled by the fact that they basically played nearly mistake-free football for two years. Um, and I'm on the record as having been a, a Jorge Reina defender pretty much all season long. But you there was no denying that like when he made a mistake... You know, I, I, to for those of you who aren't necessarily baseball fans out there, you know, they have these metrics that determine, like, the impact of any one thing that happens in a game. And it seemed like, you know, there were times, you know, you don't have to look any further than, like, the game-ending interceptions against both USC and Minnesota back-to-back. You know, that really kind of set the tone for the entire year, I would say. Yeah, well, remember, like, where, the USC game, he had chances to win near the fourth quarter and couldn't get it done. Like, they were yeah. in that game to win because didn't USC lose a quarterback in that game again? They had lost, they lost JT Daniels. Yeah, yeah, that's when they lost him. And, like, I remember when USC played Utah, they chucked it to Michael Pittman. But he had a chance to win. He was an interception in the end zone, I believe, late in the fourth quarter. So there were – like, he wasn't bad throughout the year, but – when you hyper-localize or zoom in on one or two areas, like, oh, he wasn't very good, when big spots, he came up short. It still wasn't great, but it wasn't like he was awful all year. There were just important times. It seemed like he wasn't really uh, playing up to the standard he should have been, we think. Yeah. So, they got a new quarterback. Um, but, oh, wait, I guess we got a new coach, right? Is that the big thing, right? 
That'd be... That is one of the big headlines. You know, <laughs> Kalen DeBoer, the new old coach, I guess you would say. Because yeah. he was here and he was, you know, one of those primary reasons why the Bulldogs were able to turn it around in 2017. And, you know, the one year that he was gone to Indiana, you know, you look at what they did over there. They had a huge improvement on offense, including bringing in a freshman quarterback, Michael Penix. So, yeah, having him back, I think, is definitely an asset, and especially since, you know, the offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, is also there uh, back for another round. You know, in a lot of respects, the offense wasn't necessarily the problem last year. So even though they're, you know, having to replace quarterback, they're having to replace, you know, tight end, they're breaking in a bunch of new wide receivers at the same time, like, it's not too hard to make the optimist's case because of the coaching staff that they have on that side of the ball. Yeah, and then like having him back too, they won two division titles, one 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 overall, and so he's doing something yeah. right. You know what I mean? So that's the hope. Like new coach, like a lot of new stuff come back, coming in and replacing whatever. Because with uh, Tetford's, uh, was it his official like his heart issue? Is that the reason why? For, was that the kind of the yeah? Because he had the issue with Tampa Bay, I believe, as well in the NFL. But bringing him back, I was like, okay, we have a guy who won twenty, helped us win twenty plus games. He yeah. played did well at Indiana, which isn't known to being great offensive football. <laughs> And I think this is like, given the circumstances, I think we mentioned this back in whenever the hire was made. This is like the best move they could have done. Like, not yeah. not not yeah, not I mean, putting it, it made the most sense. That's what I mean. I don't mean to see condescending. That's the best thing they could do. No, you're right. It makes the most sense, and it's a good move as well. It's both of those. Yeah. And so we've all, if you're a Fresno fan, you've seen what they've done the past couple of years. But now it's like, okay, last year was kind of weird, but I don't think. As we go through this, I'm not going to expect them to revert back to those two years because, you know, they had a pretty good quarterback on that team as well, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good quarterback on the team. Marcus McMarion came in, did quite well. They won. It's going to be, for my end results, it's going to be kind of an in-between from last year to the past couple years. Yeah, I mean, it really one of the big questions is, you know, is bringing in a transfer from a Pac-12 program going to work for the second straight time? Mm-hmm. Because you know when you know before this pandemic happened, I think it was pretty clear that they expected Jake Hayner to come in and, and compete for the starting role right away, be you know, or at least start with the, the quarterback one role. Um, which isn't to say that he wasn't going to have some competition because Ben Woolridge has been in the system for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't look overwhelmed in the limited, very very limited amount of playing time he had last year, and like four pass completions or something like that. Yeah, so. You know, those two guys made a good start, but, and this is something that I feel has come up with every other team preview we've come up against, you know, because it seems like literally everybody is replacing their starting quarterback from last year. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what that production is going to look like because, you know, Reyna wasn't abysmal last year. Like, there were a lot of things he was good at. You know, he was elusive. He could extend a play. He wasn't afraid to try and make plays down the field. It was just, you know, a lot of those instances didn't necessarily work out. And so, you know, if they regress even a little bit as far as, like, interception rate, for instance, because I, I went and I did the math, and with McMarion between 2017 and 2018, they had an interception rate of about 1.5%. And last year, Reyna had an interception rate of about 3%. So, you know, it doubled in one season. And so if that regresses even a little bit, you know, that – is the difference between, you know, one turnover that puts pressure on the defense or, you know, just the ability to extend a drive or even if things don't work out to be able to pin an opponent down on their side of the field or something like that. So it's one of those little things where, 
you don't necessarily it's 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 easy to look at the raw number mm-hmm. but i think that the right number is especially important in that regard so like what do you see at that position then like we've seen what like transfer quarterback they have one again obviously jake kane are there but when they brought in McMarion before we all thought and you've written articles about it transfer quarterbacks or grad transfers specifically are iffy at best McMarion came in what mid-august wasn't something like that or during camp didn't play until league play started, came in and played quite well. But this time, if Hayner and Woolridge, or maybe they have guys who've been around, but then again, they've had no spring practices. And as we said before, their fall camp probably going to be delayed. Yeah. So, like, how does a new coach, like, I'm assuming, this is me clearly assuming, like, we'll get with the positions and offense, but I'd have to say the offense never really diverted too much from Kellen DeBoer pre and after now. You know what I mean? It's only a one year gap. Not really. I'm ass- I mean, yeah, I can't remember if we mentioned this previously, but it's worth keeping in mind that DeBoer and Grubb go way back together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were together at Sioux Falls on the NAIA. They were together at uh, Eastern Michigan, you know, when Grubb was running the offensive line and DeBoer was the offensive coordinator. And, you know, so the dynamic is, is a familiar one. And that, I think, is one of those things that really gives them a leg up. And, you know, as we'll get to when we get to some of the other positions, quarterback might be the big question just in terms of, like, production having to be replaced. And a glamour spot, too. But every other unit on the offense has a lot of contributors coming back. And, and with that continuity, you know, of the offense, like, you know, there's not going to be a lot of changes. Like, for instance, like there might be with Hawaii, where they're not going to be running the run and shoot anymore, but they might be doing the air rate that they aren't necessarily the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's no transition like that between what they were doing last year without DeBoer and what they're probably going to be doing this year with him. I guess what helps now, like we'll get to running back Ronnie Rivers, but they have a good running back. Mm-hmm. That clearly helps. And like even like we, I said this a million times, so if you've heard every podcast, apologize for repeating, but he may be the fifth or sixth best running back, but the league has really, really good running backs. And so it's going to yeah. be an elite position. Like, you know the other guys with George Solani, Boise State, or if you go to Charles Williams, David Valaday, um, I'm behind Jillian Warren. I think Rivers is above, slightly above him. But, like, they'll have – the offense will – he will adjust to what they have, but I still think they'd pass a decent amount, you'd have to think, right? Like, there'd be no reason to go away from what made him a good coach and getting these promotions throughout the past five, six years of his career. Yeah. So what do you, what do you expect, like, from quarterback? Because it, it's going to be a full-on battle between those two guys. Or is there a third person that we're, I'm missing? I mean, they did bring a couple of JUCO guys in, but I would be very surprised if any of the more recent arrivals end up getting more than a look for, like, the backup job. I really do think it's between Hayner and Woolridge. So what did – Hayner was at Washington, so he's been with Chris Peterson. He mm-hmm. was um, – who's been up there? Jake Was Jake Folson at Washington, right? Uh, you mean Jacob Eason? Or Jacob Eason, sorry. They've yeah, had a couple lost guys. the starting job to Eason. Yeah, and so he was – if you're in the mix for him, he was a pretty good quarterback in his own right – that's not a. Yeah. It's a good guy to have. You know what I mean? It's like he wanted a chance to play, and I get it. You don't want to start in battle. You're running on eligibility, and so he coming out of high school. He's a pretty highly regarded recruit to be in contention to be a starting quarterback at a Power Five school in the Pac-12, where they were a top two team when he was there. Yeah, and so like he's not some some slouch. He's just like, oh, I need a transfer, not playing. Like even with Mark McMahon, like he. Good talent, Oregon State, not a great program, but he ended up being very well at this whatever flipped the switch or changed or in Fresno State. So if that's a repeat of that, Fresno State fans would take it, even if it's heck, seventy percent of that and he's the guy, that would kind of be very much better than last year. Yeah. 
So do you have any idea who it would be? Like you have the guy in the system or guy who's been here since – when did he even come in? Because he transferred last uh, August. Has he been in since January? I believe so. Yeah. So so he's been around – the exact timeline. Been around but not really practicing clearly. No, I mean, and that's one of those things where – we haven't really brought it up on the team broadcasts. But that's one of those things where, you know, where some teams like Air Force and I think, was it Wyoming or Colorado State that was able to get some Utah State had a couple, yeah. Pandemic. Like three yeah. or four at most besides Air Force, which got the full thing in. Yeah, so Fresno State was not in that boat. And so it may be that there's a longer learning curve when it comes to actually getting everybody on the field together and, um, you know, just having, you know, getting timing down and things like that. All those little things that are kind of in, invisible to the outsider eye. So, you know, I would imagine, I would think in that case that Woolridge might have a better shot at the starting role than it would have been otherwise under normal circumstances. But I would still probably say that, you know, they would not have brought Hainer in if they didn't expect him to come out winning the job. Yeah, so it's... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I I think I'll be safe in saying this. Whoever gets a job, well, I I should, I'm, I'm hedging a little bit. I think it'll be... With the new co- new coach, new old coach, however you want to put it there, <laughs> but I think it's going to be better than last for this position, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, good. I mean, even slight improvement should make a difference in the long run. Well, it definitely should. All right, so if we go to running back position, it's Ronnie Rivers. He's been around for a while. There's what is there to really add for what they've done with him? Because he catches the ball in the backfield, he runs the ball well. He's a versatile back, which will help the new quarterback because if you can hand the ball off to him, boom, go. If you could get him swinging out of the backfield, if he's a guy for uh, downfields not open, he's off to the side and he catches that little swing pass because he's hanging out chilling after doing a chip block or something. Mm-hmm. He's that guy who, oh, excuse me there, folks, but he's the guy who's versatile enough to make this offense go. And he's had the past three year was he three year starter essentially, 2017 sorta. He but, split time a couple of years ago, and and part of the reason why he ended up taking on more of a workload last year is one. Uh, he was the most exp- he was the most effective skilled position player anywhere on the team yeah. all season long, um, but also that you know Jordan Mims was expected to once again have a role ended up missing the entire season to injury. Yeah, and so you know one of the questions is you know how are they going to manage a, a relatively unknown quarterback situation? And part of that is Rivers, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you know when you look at the running back position as a whole, he may not necessarily have to do it all by himself this time around, you know, and, and which is not to say that Fresno State fans aren't going to complain if he scores another 16 touchdowns. And it wouldn't shock me if, like you, you mentioned, he's a really good pass catcher. He led the, I believe he led all running backs in the conference in receptions last year. He had 43. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, he's one of those guys who can do a little bit of everything, but he may not necessarily need to because Mims is back, you know, because they also get Javon Bigelow, who you might remember if you're a Wyoming fan. Um, he looked really good in a 2018 small sample. I think he had like 60-something carries for nearly 300 yards. Um, but he decided to transfer back home. He's a Central Valley guy. Um, so, you know, between the three of those guys, you know, you've got the makings of a pretty solid committee where, you know, if you don't necessarily want to have to lean on the quarterback all the time, you don't necessarily even have to 
you know, switch to running the ball all the time. You can just use the running backs as outlets. You can, mm-hmm. I don't know, split rivers out wide. That wouldn't Good. surprise me if you yeah. do something like that. Put them in a slot motion or something, yeah. Because now all of a sudden they've got a trio at a, at a minimum of guys who can do a little bit of everything. And that doesn't even account for some of the younger guys like, uh, you know, Malik Sherrod, the true freshman they brought in. Zion Eccles has been around for a couple of years. Uh, you know, Savion Johnson, McKinley Lee. So, I mean, they've got options back there where, you know, if the offense continues to run through rivers and it's, and it works, you know, more power to the coaching staff, but, you know, if he needs a breather on a third down or after running the ball three or four straight times, that I think they could—they have names in the backfield. They have performers in the backfield they can rely upon to do that. Yeah, and real quick, going back to Mims, they missed last year to injury, but him and Ronnie Rivers are kind of a similar type of style. Yeah. they Like, I'm just kind of looking over his numbers. He played 12 games, five starts, so kind of split time a little bit. Missed a couple with injuries, so missed the title game, the bowl game in 18. Um, but he had 400, just over 430 yards, 130 yards, 100-plus attempts. Um, 20, 21 passes right there, and then he had eight touchdowns. And yeah. he's, was he also a return man guy as well? Honestly, uh, on occasion, yeah. Okay, so like he, like you're right. The third down thing. Okay, well, Rivers is gas for whatever reason. Let's put a Mims on third down, or they could put both in there. And now, like I said, have one go wide either, and one be in the backfield. Like, okay, what do we got here? Because you could do a a sweet play. Like you could do a lot of different things. Like if you have those guys that go to wide out, they bring it back in and do some sort of jet sweep or fake it and do the the counter. It's kind of the misdirection type play and give it to the running back as receiver, or I guess in this case, the running back goes in motion and does a little fake. So they have options. Like, I think that's part of it too. Last year, we mentioned the offensive line. Well, it wasn't great. Quarterback was okay, but not having depth at running back and good depth didn't help either, despite Rivers being as good as he is. Yeah. And so this could be obviously be pretty creative. And maybe after hearing what you've mentioned a little bit, because I've looked through a bunch of this, but you fall more close, I might have to ch- tweak maybe my, my results there, folks. For the better. For the better, possibly. But I've already locked myself in on other ones, so I can't really change too much, right? Yeah. All right, so what do we got? You're allowed to do what you want. Well, I know. Uh, Clearly, but what I'm sticking with, as as I'm looking at my highlighted bright green and red sheet here for records, I'm not going to change when we we could or will change, which I I think you lock yourself in pretty hard, but when we do our giant big preview, there's going to have to be changes, but I think I'm going to make some tweaks there as well, but we'll see. Um, So what do we got at receiving group? So the receivers are, I guess if you want to put it succinctly, they're still mostly very young, and but they also have a lot of potential because they brought in a lot of three-star guys over the last two, three seasons. And, you know, there really aren't that many upperclassmen. Like, you know, Carrick Weepal is a senior. Um, Juco guy, right? Uh, yeah, he came in last year from uh, Blinn College, I believe in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's just outside Texas a but, I mean, beyond him, you know, they've got a couple of other guys who are juniors. Like, you know, Zane Pope, who was last year's leading receiver, is probably set for, you know, a, a role in the rotation. And Chris Coleman, fingers crossed, won't have to play cornerback this year. That <laughs> 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 he, he can focus on being a wide receiver like they wanted him to be. Yeah, play, focus on one spot, coaches. Come on, help him out there. But, you know, the, those aren't the only guys. You know, they've got, you know, Jamal Glasby, for instance, who saw playing time very sparingly last year. Emery Edwards, who I believe he missed the first part of the year with the injury, but came out and quitted himself pretty well when he you know, got time. But, you know, the guy, I think I mentioned him last year. I'm just going to mention him again, though. Jalen Cropper is a name that if you are looking for reasons to watch the Fresno State offense, you want to keep an eye on the guy who averaged over 16 yards of play every time he touched the ball last year. 
So he's going to be one of and our clearly players to watch for the first now. Definitely. Because, you know, he's got game-changing speed. And, you know, not, I mean, not everybody watched the New Mexico game last year because it was on one of those really far-flung streaming networks or whatever. Um, but, you know, there's a reason they wanted to get the ball in his hands and, you know, on jet sweeps and things like that. Just put him in space, you know, make him be a return guy. And so, you know, I'm not going to come out and say he's going to come out and catch like 80 passes for a thousand yards or something like that. But, you know, he's definitely one of those guys who could propel a rebound when it comes to big plays, because that was another one of the things that really fell off last year from, you know, 2017, 2018, because in in those two years, the percentage of 20 yard pass plays, for instance, it was 12.4 and then 12.7 in 17 and 18. Last year, it fell to 10.4. And, you know, a guy like Cropper could have a hand in changing that. Wheatball, who averaged 18 yards a catch, could also be a part of that. Um, And then, you know, a lot of the other younger guys wouldn't necessarily be under pressure to do that. You know, if if Zane Pope is a possession-type receiver who can just move the chains, average 12, 13 yards per catch, you know, more power to him. And and that's not even mentioning some of the other redshirt freshmen who could play roles this year like josh kelly like rodney wright so i mean they've got a lot of options and i guess if there's one thing that i'm most interested in seeing out of the offense this year is you know there's been a lot of hype around these guys from the last two years just in in terms of their recruiting acumen but this is where you're going to start seeing them produce on a on a fairly major level for the first time so i'm very interested in seeing who emerges from this unit yeah it's great to have options like you want to because it's it's one thing to have a, one or two great guys, which is good, or a bunch of nobodies. But it's also good. Like, my, let me hope my analogy sticks here. But you have a lot of guys out there. Like you mentioned you want to have a couple stand out because if you have six or seven guys who are all about the same, you might not have anybody who's really really good. Yeah. And so if we have one or two guys step up, but then you have three through seven that can go in there, and there's not really much of a down a difference in down play when they're out there. That's what you really want. And Fresno is probably closer to that than having just a bunch of dudes out there. Because with the offense they run, and like I mentioned, mixing the running backs, for whatever receivers they may be, like like I mentioned, Jet Cropper or Wheatfall, whoever may be out there, Emery Edwards, Emerald Edwards, excuse me, you got to have a couple guys out there to be your go-to guys. Like they've had Keyshawn Johnson, Devontae Adams, a lot of guys years before, maybe not those as good as those two guys because they're really good, but you want to have that number one and number two guy to rely on throughout the whole game. and. Yeah. That's what I want to see happen. I've wanted you guys step up. But then this sort of goes to the offensive line, Matt, where last year where you're like, oh, I'm not going to blame Jorge Rey now for everything. We're not. I will kind of blame the line for not giving him time to throw and get hit around a bit. And that might be the key to the offense overall being good. Be- I didn't bring this up at the onset. Oh, what'd you get? But one of the other things that really betrayed this team last year, especially with the offensive line, was injury luck. And, and Bill Connolly put this most pointedly when he wrote about Fresno State in his preview for ESPN. No one started more than 10 games on the line last year. And 11 different players started at least one game. And when you look at the advanced metrics that I've, that I've brought up again and again on these team previews, despite all of that, you know, I mentioned at the onset that the offense in a lot of respects was still above average. Like by a lot of the advanced metrics, the offense still held their own you know they they were 47th so they were top 50 by line yards per carry for instance 
and they were right around the national average uh, in opportunity rate. So in, in getting runners like Rivers to the second level, in avoiding disruptive plays, they were 59th in stuff rate, and they weren't, you know, they were okay at protecting the quarterback because they were 58th in sack rate allowed. And so you have to imagine if they get better injury luck this time around, you know, now all of a sudden you're, you're looking at a group that might not be especially well known. It might not be regarded as as, as highly as like a Wyoming or a Hawaii, for instance. But they're now all of a sudden one of the deeper units in the conference because only a couple of guys are moving on from all those guys who saw playing time last year. Like, you know, Jace Fuamatu left the team for personal reasons. Um, but, you know, Matt Smith at center is coming back. Cyrus Tuatel is coming back. You know, Tuatel was the only guy, um, I believe, who was the only offensive lineman, excuse me, who was listed on Pro Football Focus's all-conference team at the end of the year. And when the Bulldogs lost those two guys down the stretch, you could tell just by looking at yards per play that they really missed those two. Because in the first eight games where both of those guys played, Smith and Tuatel, they averaged 6.3 yards per play. And without them, they fell to 5.45. And that's not, that doesn't even account for all the other guys coming back. Like Dante Bull is going to have a full season at left tackle. Tyrone Sampson, who is one of the more highly regarded recruits of the last few years, four-star guy coming in. Um, you know, with Smith at center, he can slide over to guard. Nick Abs coming back. So all of a sudden, you've got six or seven, eight guys who, you know, in the event that Fingers crossed, knock on wood, <laughs> somebody suffers another injury and they're out for an extended period of time. You know, they already have a track record of not necessarily falling all the way off. And if you're a Bulldogs fan, that's another good sign that you can point to. Exactly. It's like you got to have guys block and put it's, – it's different than the receiver group. If you have depth in the offensive line, that's what you want because how many times have we said going through any team this year – like I remember last week, Boise State had what seven? Like they played eight different starting lineups in their fourteen games. They'll say this this guy played four different positions throughout the year. They had four. They had a month between September and October where four of the six, four of the eight, three of the eight games ever had a different starting offensive line. You gotta. It's that's how you gotta be a good team. So having the depth there is good to figure out who's gonna start. But you want to try to limit. It's it's very simple, but it's hard to achieve sometimes. Like it is injury luck which we get to a lot, but if you have guys out there who can block and you have enough of the guys and there's no turnover luck or not turnover luck, like injuries or tweaks is have you sit out and you shuffled line every week. Mm-hmm. That's how you want to help a new quarterback. It's simple, but exactly. yeah, you got to keep healthy. I know it's super simple just to say, but it's like, it's clearly the obvious answer. It's like, okay, here's our starting five. Great. Don't do it. I know some teams I've covered before. I think it was BOE specifically when they had a Robert and I there, they'd run in five in five out. I'm like, eh, that's a little iffy there just because, whatever reason but you want that's good to have depth but if they can keep a line consistent like they're not gonna go injury freaks that never happens but if you have say three different starting off starting lineups throughout the year that's fine but once you get above four or five six seven that's where your team's probably not playing very well yeah and, and that was one of those things where in the heights of 2017 2018 the offensive line stayed relatively intact pretty much that whole time i think it was i think it was 2017 where they had the same five guys start all 12, 13 games. So that's, it's rare. Yeah. But if you can get it done, like that can easily be, I don't know. I'm just throwing a number out there, but that could be like two wins or something possibly throughout the year. If you have a strict same offensive line the whole year, because you're not, you're probably not getting sacked as much. You're not getting hurried as much. 
everything's incohesive when you because you got the plays, but if you have only played a handful of games or you're a part-time player as number two at three different positions, or you're slipping from right tackle to right guard or left tackle to center, the cohesiveness cohesiveness goes away. And they have, I think they have the talent there to improve from last year. It's just be healthy, and that yeah. takes on a new term this year, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so what? Are we, anything else on the offense we need to get to? I think we're good. So what do we say about this defense here? Well, um, I think, like I said at the onset, that that was really the unit that made the team most frustrating to watch last year because, you know, from quarter to quarter or from half to half, you, know, you could see where they were putting it together and then they would just fall apart. You know, I think the one instance that really comes to mind in looking back on 2019 was the Air Force game where they were able to match them, you know, drive for drive on offense. But that also meant that, you know, the defense wasn't making any stops. And then in the second half, when the offense faltered, the defense still couldn't make any stops. And, you know, by a lot of those same metrics, you know, it was the defensive line or the defensive front in particular that really underperformed. You know, because, you know, like I said, with the offensive line, even despite the injuries, how they were either average or better, the defense doesn't really didn't really have that same level of fortune. You know, they were 90th in nine line yards per carry, excuse me, uh, 87th in opportunity rate, 80th in stuff rate. And then perhaps most egregiously, they were 115th in sack rate. And so, you know, the story about this unit going into this year is that, you know, they're having to replace some production from last year. And it can't just be Kevin Atkins and everybody else because he really emerged as a star in the trenches. He was by far their most disruptive player. And they've got a host of new faces who are either coming back from injury, like Kwame Jones missed time last year. He's back. But it's really the new faces, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Leonard Payne, who's a sophomore who's going to have to step up, or Isaiah Johnson, who's a JUCO transfer, or David Perales, who redshirted last year. You know, there's a lot of, guys who are going to be under pressure to at least get them back to average. Because one of the things that was a real hallmark of those elite Bulldogs teams of the previous two years is they weren't necessarily top notch when it came to being disruptive, but they were disruptive enough that enabled the guys behind them to make plays. And so I think they, they can, if they can get back to that level, you know, they would be in much better shape in the long run. But I think if there's a big if, or maybe the biggest if anywhere on this team, I would say that that's it. Okay, that's a good point. What do you feel about um, this kind of defense in general? They, Justin Rice is named the preseason player of the year defense. Did that surprise you? Uh, a little. It surprised me. It did, because we voted for, who was our, I was trying to look at the bars, who was our vote? Ours was Tariq Thompson. Yeah, Tariq, Tom- yeah, Tariq Thompson. It surprised me a little bit. I'm like, who, who did you vote for? Tariq Thompson? I did. You did the voting. Did Justin Rice even get a vote? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I wish I had that in front of me. I, he might have gotten one. Because looking at it, it wasn't, but like our vote wasn't necessarily a close one. Yeah, and, but also the here's the one thing too about with the media votes. They there's no write-in vote because a team. It's like the Donald Hammond thing from last off season. He was not put on the ballot, so they couldn't vote for him at all for the official awards. So I'm not assuming I like I don't know how the nomination goes, but like did San Diego State could you nominate one guy for Player of the Year? So did they choose Cameron Thompson over Tariq Thompson or Cameron Thomas? I don't know, but it did surprise me a little. Like Justin Rice is a really good player, but it did surprise me a bit because he'd probably be in the mix. Like it was Tariq Thompson, 
Um, Darren Hall, maybe. I don't know. It's uh, Don Peterson, but defense line's hard to get the award. But it surprised me to a degree when I saw that. I was like, who did we, how did we vote? But that's... Well, I mean, yes and no. Because one, you know, he was the team's leading tackler last year. You know, with 112 tackles. He's also that, he, wasn't, that wasn't all he did, though. Yeah. He, he was the guy who, you know, did a little bit of everything despite some of the struggles up front in front of him. You know, he had three sacks. He had two interceptions. He had eight pass breakups. He had, what was it, four forced fumbles. So he was kind of like what we expected David Woodward to be like last year. And mm-hmm. because the team struggled, not a lot of people noticed. There's that, too. It's um, Do you think he could be better than that this year? It's hard to say. I think if the defense is more effective up front, like the yeah, the numbers might go down. But I think in the middle of a defense like this, you know, having that kind of veteran impact presence um, is definitely an asset. And he's he's not the only one. Like Aaron Mosby kind of got overlooked a little bit last year because Rice was all over the place making plays. But I kind of see him as being kind of a, a jab and white light where he wasn't quite as disruptive in, in you know, making plays against the run, but he did have five and a half tackles for a loss, and he also had five pass breakups. So you know, between those two guys, they aren't starting over at linebacker this year like they were this time last year, and both Rice and Mosby were really unproven entities, and they needed to move Michael Walker to the middle to make up for that. You know, They've got two solid, at worst, uh, you know, guys in the middle of that defense, and that's a much better place to be than they were this time last year. Yeah, I got Lavelle Bailey there, who had six TFLs last year. Yeah, and he'll step up probably for Walker being gone. But if Rice is as good as people say, it's one of those things where okay, they'll double, triple him, or focus on moving plays away from him, and then you can see like Atkins, or, well, that's defense lineman, but like uh, other guys in that linebacking group. Like, okay, we'll make the plays for it instead. Or some defensive end will make the play because they're going to run a play away from him or double him or focus on him more to move the offense away. That's already half a win as it is. If the offense is like, all right, we're going to kind of limit our play calling in his direction. Mm. And then you have other guys who, okay, you limit him there. Well, I guess other guys who are within reasonable percentage of being nearly as good as him. They'll make plays. Somebody's going to make plays. If they double him, well, that opens up somebody else because then you're playing 11 on 10 football, essentially. And so that's how they can all make plays. And I think this group, like, could be, I think overall, it's going to be better than last year. I'm not sure if it'll be up near the top, but I think the defense, it's too true. Like you said, if you're losing and not playing well, it's hard to focus on guys. Like, especially if you're losing and you're a good defensive player, how much focus are you getting on if your team allows. 30 points or 40 points, you know what I mean? In certain games, you're losing, but you, but you still had 12 tackles, three for a loss, and a fumble recovery. Like, how much focus are you really getting unless you have, like, a, a monster standout game with, like, multiple fumbles, multiple picks, or, more, like, three-plus sacks? Yeah, and, and, and Bailey, Bailey is one of those guys in particular, and I would say this about some other guys in the secondary, which we'll talk about in a moment, but he's one of those guys who, you know, because he's a young guy and because he came on really strong in the second half of the year when they were shuffling in, a lot of players on defense, you know, he only had five starts, but he did have six tackles for loss. And so he's one of those guys where if he comes in with a, with a, you know, an all but certain handle on a starting role, you know, however much he can avoid growing pains in, you know, growing into that, you know, kind of nickelback maybe type role, you know, a, a, if you want a, a comparison as far as roles, not necessarily athletic ability or anything like that, but like a, a Kekaula Kanijo type role. 
I think that's what they're expecting him to do, you know, to be able to defend the run and also, you know, defend pass over the middle or be responsible for at least part of that. You know, he's one of those guys as a sophomore, as a guy growing into a much larger role, you know, how is he going to handle that? Is there going to be inconsistency? Because if there is, then the, then the, the rebound, the positive regression or whatever you want to call it may not be as great as some Bulldogs fans might be expecting. There might be a, a little bit of a, a learning curve, but we don't necessarily know if that's the case. Okay. So what about the secondary that lost basically half their guys? They lost the other half of yeah. those, okay. those, those, of those elite teams because, <laughs> yeah, well, no, because you yeah. know, they, they lost, who was it the year before they lost Mike Bell mm-hmm. and someone whose name is escaping me. And I feel bad about that. Um, <laughs> but you know, this year they're losing Juju Hughes, which is probably the biggest loss anywhere on the defense. And, you know, they're losing Jaron Bryant. But, you know, you could say that one cornerback position is probably okay because they have Chris Gaston who started all year long. And he was pretty solid at a minimum. Yeah, they've got Wyland Free who can, you know, struggled as a safety. They, they, I think, are planning to move him to corner. So he's got an inside track towards the other job. Yeah, but another one of those sophomores that I mentioned earlier as far as, you know, learning curves or, you know, stepping into more prominent roles. Evan Williams is another guy who started down the stretch and played pretty well. I think he had 40 tackles in the last four games, if I'm not mistaken, or 40 tackles on the season, excuse me. Um, but, you know, he's stepping in, I think, to Hughes' old role at, at strong safety. So however he, you know, however he plays could have a way of, uh, you know, determining how far this team goes as far as being able to stop, you know, opposing offenses because past defense was one of those things in a lot of respects really fell off from where it was in 27, excuse me, 2017, 2018. Yeah. It was a very un-Fresno like 61.8% completion rate allowed, for instance. Yeah. They, and, they know, are at best middle of the pack at best. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of, like, passer rating, for instance, they yeah. were eighth in the conference mm-hmm. after, I think, being either first or second the years before that. So it's obviously asking a lot to come all the way back to where they were before. But it's those young guys like you know, like Bailey, like Williams, like Stephen Comstock, who I believe is, is penciled in as a starter at free safety, another sophomore. You know, that's a trio of underclassmen right there who could have a big impact on how the season unfolds. So do you expect them to be – I expect them to be a touch better. Like I don't think we will say they'll be as good as they were the past couple of years, like top three in most categories. But I think if they're going to take the next step, you got to be – like I kind of half kidding, they're at best middle of the pack. How about at worst they're middle of the pack? It may be anywhere from three to six overall. I think in three to seven, I guess, depending on the category. I think they need to up it to be – to take the uh, – like if you look at the ladder rungs, kind of near – basically in the middle. If they can mm-hmm. be there, that's better than last year. So they're not. I don't think they're going to be elite, like one of the best in the conference, because San Diego State's really good, Boise State's really good, Utah State has some guys in the secondary. Wyoming, like if they can be just below that group, that'll be enough improvement to take the next step for whenever next year be a more normal college football season. Yeah. So, all right, what do we got for special teams? Uh, kind of dicey, <laughs> um, because they're they're losing perhaps their most important piece in Blake Cusick. You know, who was a guy who improved year after year, and while he might not have been at that, you know, Ryan Stonehouse, Tyson Dyer level, um, he was definitely a bu- an above average turner or punter rather. 
and they don't necessarily have a proven guy behind him. They have options like Keith Fuller or Carson King, but neither of those guys have had, you know, any in-game experience. So that's an open question. And, you know, the other big open question is whether they can improve their kicking performance. Uh, because that's really been an issue over the last couple of years. Basically, since Jimmy Camacho left in 2017, you know, Asa Fuller was kind of hit or miss in 2018. He was 14 of 22 that year. And last year, Cesar Silva, who won the job, was even worse because he was only 12 of 21. Um, so they're both back. But it's kind of an open question of, you know, one, who's going to win the job? And two, are they going to be effective? Because especially with so many other talented specialists in the conference now it really sticks out when you're not that good at it yeah um but they do have ronnie rivers coming back as a punt returner and that's a plus Mm -hmm. and i would imagine that they'll give some of the younger guys an opportunity to return kicks whether it's cropper or one of the other young receivers in particular so i think you could be more optimistic about the return game but as far as kicking and punting goes you know, that's another one of those things where if it doesn't get sorted out, that could be another real kind of unavoidable headache. Oh, well, they also got a new special teams coordinator, remember, from North Dakota State coming in. Yeah. Um, also, did you know, I don't know if this is a good set or not a good set. I'm, I finally got Phil Steele's magazine the other day. So I'm going mm-hmm. through their special teams ranking. You probably read this if you have it. I, again, I don't know if this is a big deal or not, but they have not had a kick return touchdown since November 2008. Is that, I don't think that's great, but I don't know if how. 150 games essentially. Is that? I feel like that's more of an unusual stat than anything. Yeah, it's like I like what are the what did like when you look at kick return in general, what do teams maybe get one a year at most? If they're lucky, that's what unless, I mean, unless you're Utah State these days. Of course, yeah, Utah State's got everybody returning kicks. I was like looking at last year, like the national, they're like one of the guy like you get one guy got three at uh, the Kansas jo- Joshua Youngblood, but like it, only twelve teams had a kick return last year for a touchdown nationally. And so it seems like a lot, but I don't know if it's really truly out of the ordinary, though. Probably not. A little, I'd say a little bit, maybe. But um, all right, let's move on. You ready for schedule time? Let's do it. All right, so we need to readjust our schedule here for Fresno State. No Colorado, which they probably could beat Colorado. You think, right? You know, it reminds me of a tweet I saw not uh, a while back, and I forget who tweeted it. I apologize, but they were they were saying something to the effect of like someone. Some some power really doesn't want Fresno and Colorado to meet. Why is because, that? Because you know, I think it was over the last three meetings. Like, of course, this year there's the pandemic. Uh, it was, I believe, twenty the flood, right? There the, was a like a thousand flood. year flood or something. Like that. Yeah, I remember the massive flood. Yes. Yeah, so it was one of the, it was kind of a jokey kind of kind of tweet, but it was one of those kind of yeah. mind blowing realizations. Like, wow, that's kind of, that's, there's something to that. Somebody upstairs just want these two teams to play. When yeah. is the last time they, they did play? Do you know? I'm trying to pull it up uh, right in here and, and Wikipedia. Let's take a quick look here. But that game's gone. Which do you think they could have won that game this year? I think they would have. Yeah, I think impossible. They um, I think it was 2012. 20, 2012 and Fresno won. The, no, no, 2001. Oh no, sorry, my bad. There it is. 2012. They won 69 to 14. Yeah, I remember with that Tim DeRuiter as the head coach. Yeah, year one. Tim DeRuiter. I don't remember who John Embry is, and he's the coach of the Buffs at the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Buffs fans don't remember him either. Also, Fresno on a two-game winning streak. They won in 2001 with Pat Hill over Gary Barnett. That's I remember a, that one, too. That, that's a big win. 2001 over Colorado, that's when the Buffs are pretty good. Like, yeah, well, yes, na- it was. Like, national title good. 
That wasn't a Rashawn Salamir, was it? Was he before that? No, time? that was 94. 94. Oh, 94. Okay, I thought it was a bit before that. Okay. All right. So, uh, that's a, a. Oh, they also met in a bowl game. Did you know that? 1993, a bowl in Hawaii. Uh, oh, I did not know that off the top of my head. Yeah, I was looking like Honolulu. Why were they playing there? So, also, to be one more thing that Fresno game in 2012 versus teams wasn't Fresno. How did that one off game happen in uh, out there in the Bulldog Stadium? That's a good question. I wish more teams would come to Fresno. Oh, I guess 2013 would have been the year after, probably, right? The home and home. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. Okay, it never got made up. So yeah, they they hey they snuck off that one. They got they pulled over one of those Power Five teams. Finally, yeah, Buffs are scared. <laughs> That's all it is. And also, they missed Texas A and M, which mm-hmm. probably would have been a loss, right? That would have been a loss. Yeah, that would have been, been tough. I right? mean, I think I think Texas A and M is probably going to be overrated if there's a season if you ask my brother they're always supposed to be really 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 good and they're never really 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 good <laughs> but they you know they're definitely a bull team they're definitely like a top 25 kind of team i just don't think they're a, they're like legit sec contenders that's worth it page Jimbo Fisher a 10-year contract worth like 100 million bucks oh, yeah. right? totally worth it to be seven and five and beat on that old arkansas rival from the southwest conference days <laughs> exactly all right but the actual games we're playing here for fresno state um those are the only two games, as of recording, that are not scheduled that have been canceled. Um, they got Idaho State at home to open the year, assuming again, obviously September fifth. That's a victory. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then they get two weeks off to prepare for that triple option. Jeez, man, everything's going up. Fresno State two weeks to prep for the triple option. Assuming that the game isn't cha- the date of the game isn't obviously. Changed. Well, that could happen this week because again, the meetings happen Friday, and they're assuming to have something this week. On fall sports, but that Air Force game, that's going to test this. Like going play. Here's the thing too: you play one game versus Fresno, or excuse me, Idaho State, because they were supposed to play Colorado on the 11th. They still would have had a bye week before. I get no sorry, three weeks off essentially. So my mistake: the fifth to the 26th. They would have played Colorado, had a had a bye week plus an eggs as a Friday game, Colorado game to prep for Air Force. But this will test that Fresno State defense clearly. And Air Force tests everybody. If you hear we talk about Air Force, we know what they do: triple option, running the ball. But I think this mm-hmm. is a game where this receiving group is where Fresno can make hay and have a pretty good game. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to our Air Force podcast, which, again, if you didn't listen to it, we added something after the fact. But we originally recorded it before the news came out that Donald Hammond is not in good standing. Yeah. And so while there hasn't been any official word as to his, his status for 2020, you know, we've said along, all along, we'll say it again. He's not playing. It's probably that he's not <laughs> playing. And so originally I had this penciled in as an Air Force win. Same. But, you know, now I'm not totally sure because, you know, Hammond's presence was what really enabled the Falcons to pull away last year. But historically it's been a more hotly contested game and with so many unproven entities on the offensive side of the ball, especially now. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like I should flip it. Because I, I, yeah. When with with preseason SP plus, they had given Fresno State a 44 percent chance to win this game, but that doesn't that doesn't account for losing a piece like Hammond. And so I feel like you kind of have to flip that 40 60 to a 60 40. At so, least not yet. Not till games get started. So I think it would be. I think it'll still be competitive, but I do think that Fresno State could win this game now if if Hammond isn't playing. I'm with you too. I move it to a toss up. Partly because it's at home in Fresno, which 
we'll see who's at the game or nobody, probably just the TV and radio guys that are home. That's about it. But you're right. Like this is a, a still a game where it was already close. 60, 40 before is still pretty close. Like that's still to me, a reasonable chance of getting a victory from either team. But when you look what air force does, their secondary is not as great. They replace a bunch up front. We mentioned the defensive line for yes. Fresno has new offense, new quarterback, but they'll have weeks and weeks to prepare for the triple option. And that's a big plus. Assuming if the schedule stays like I said, I don't want to bring that up every time, assuming assuming schedule dates and change. But if they truly do get three weeks to play and prepare for that, that's gold and nobody gets that unless you're like week one opener or a bowl game. Yeah. And so much. and you got Justin Rice, got, we already mentioned the defenders Fresno has, but I still would I still would say the front seven for Fresno's gotta step it up because Kanan Remsburg, whoever's a quarterback, they're gonna the offense isn't gonna take that much of a drop down. It's gonna be a little bit, but I'm leaning toward Fresno win. It's at home. They have a good running back depth in themselves. They'll take advantage of that Falcon secondary. And so I got a Fresno um, with the win. Sounds good to me. All right. So what's the next game? Is it Colorado State? That is that is correct. This could be. I think this could be a shootout. I think you're right. I mean, it kind of was last year. Can we do it again? Can we get like a 58-56 game uh, and a game-winning touchdown, not a field goal, but a game-winning touchdown? <laughs> so, so you want it to be like a, a repeat of last year's Fresno State Utah State game? Why not? I like the offense. Everybody knows I love the offense. Apparently, I hate defense. But I, but, but seriously, this game, like, there's good receivers on Colorado State. Clearly, they have a good quarterback. But I think Fresno, like, again, listen to our Rams podcast. The Rams defense hasn't been great in years, and I'm not going to trust them to come up and stop. Any offense that's pretty good, and Fresno is going to have an above average offense within the conference. This will be a test for the secondary for Fresno, which should be pretty good. But I think with when you kind of look at the strengths and weaknesses at each side, like okay, offensive line Fresno should be a bit better, but they got the running game that's really good. The Colorado State off defense again not very good, but the receiving group Dante Wright, Nate Craig Myers, Warren Jackson specifically, they're going to probably light up that Fresno defense. It's going to be like it could be whoever makes a stop here and there. And if I'm looking at stops, I'd lean toward the team that's better defense in Fresno State. See, I would I would agree with all of that, but thank, I would say thank right you. now Colorado State has more. I would say they they have maybe slightly more upside or more established pieces on defense, and I think, you know, when I was thinking about my projections for the Bulldog season in particular. But, you know, what I think they might struggle with the most is top tier offenses. You know, just because they're having to replace, especially on the back end, so many people. And so I think going up against a, you know, Colorado State with a, a, an above average quarterback and with a very far above average wide receiver unit, that, you know, I think, again, I wouldn't surprise you if it'll be competitive. I do think Fresno State will be able to put points up on a lot of opponents. I just have a hard time seeing them keep up. So if you already listened to the Rams podcast, you already know I have that one penciled in this Colorado State win. But I don't think either team is going to necessarily run away with it. No, I think they're both uh, – the strengths and weaknesses counteract each other, so they'll make a good game. Mm-hmm. All right, then you got New Mexico State at home. That's a win, right? Uh, yes. We've talked about how New Mexico State lost a lot of talent. They're not the team from a couple years ago who won the bowl game in the Aggie Bowl at the Nova Arizona – is that a home loan game, bowl game? Is that what Nova, Nova is? Home loans, Arizona Bowl. There you go. That when they beat Utah State, it's uh, they don't have the same talent before. They're struggling to say the least, right? Yes. Like uh, it's a hard job. It's independent, out west. Very few teams to play. So 
it'll be a victory for, for Fresno State. Right here, Matt, I got them 4-0. I don't. <laughs> no. What'd you, what was your one loss? Did I miss well, one? Colorado State. Oh, I thought you said a win for Colorado State. 4-0. Okay, well, 3-1, 4-0. That's not bad, right? That's good. Mm. How are we going to determine who gets ranked, man? Because if you're playing against each other, you're not getting any respect for beating these teams that are in the not playing the SEC or Pac-12. That is an excellent question. That's why... Pre- as much as we hate but still write about preseason rankings, if you're ranked, that's going to be a huge advantage for anybody. All right, so they go to Nevada. This is going to be a really good game too, I think. Just because it's on the road in Reno. We've already heard what Nevada... Also, we did mention Nevada did lose a transfer quarterback, but it's not one who's starting, so there's no too concern at the moment. They still have Carson Strong, obviously... Toa Tao, the running back, they got some receivers. Don Peterson's a really good defender. I think Nevada has more pieces together. Like, there's not a ton of weaknesses overall that Fresno could take advantage of, in my opinion. Secondary, maybe, but uh, I think Nevada has more of it together than Fresno at the moment. Yeah, I think you're right. And so, anything specifics about how you think that game could play out? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think if Nevada struggles to run the ball like they did last year in the in- and if Fresno State can find answers for its pass rush, then that could be the kind of thing that swings this game the other way from where it was last year. Because, again, this was another close game that Fresno State lost last year. So I don't think that there is that much that separates the two. Obviously, I'm very bullish on the Wolfpack just because mm-hmm. of the experience they have coming back on the offensive side of the ball. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are unbeatable. And so... I, I have this one penciled in as a Nevada win, um, but again, I think the Wolfpack are going to have to—they're going to have to earn it against this team. That's what I have too. I have it as a toss-up game, but favoring Nevada for the victory. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be good. Like all these games, like Fresno schedule, like looking through, especially with the A and M Texas A Texas A and M game gone, most of these games are going to be close. I think. Like I don't think they're going to get blown out, and they're not going to blow anybody out. I don't think outside of maybe New Mexico State and Idaho State. Mm-hmm. They got Hawaii at home. I thought it was a victory partly because, not just travel-wise, but I could. I was going to say, oh, they got new coach and new this, new that, but so does Fresno State, new coach, mm-hmm. and new quarterback. Um, I just uh, I like what Fresno State's done with, um, like, look what DeBoer's done the past couple years before he was here. And when they play Hawaii, I just think when you look at Fresno, it's going to be, it's hard to decide, decipher this game really because they both have good running backs. The Hawaii's edge receiving group and quarterback. Maybe I should switch it to a Hawaii victory because I think they have edge, but I think it'll come down to the defense for Fresno State, and that's why it'll be a a lot of points. This might be kind of a similar outcome to the Colorado State game, like decent amount of points. Because Hawaii's defense is okay, but it's not great, and there's plenty of talent, especially if Ronnie Rivers, Jordan Men start doing stuff on the ground or getting a passing game altogether. This will be a fun game to watch because it'll be a lot of high power passing by Hawaii, and then Fresno being a more traditional offense, but still going three wide and shotgun and two running backs. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right about that. I do have, I mean, we already talked about this on the Hawaii podcast, mm-hmm. but I do have Fresno State losing that one too. Oh man, you don't like your Fresno State team? Okay, I get it. At oh, you- <laughs> I'm kidding, kidding. It's just a joke. All right, at UNLV. This is the what is there a trophy in this one? I want to say there is. There is not. Okay, good. I got it right for once because usually I get it wrong when there's a trophy involved. Um, Fresno at UNLV, and this game's out of Legion Stadium, right? It's not getting pushed to Sam Boyd. 
Not that I, I have, not that I have heard. I think it's good. This game, I, I'm gonna I, again. Fresno is gonna win because we have not done our UNLV show, so that'll be one of our next two. UNLV and what? San Jose. Those are our final two. The one way Fresno State would not win this game is if Charles Williams just goes off, which he can do for like two twenty and four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's gonna do it because Fresno's defense is even maybe not as good a couple years ago, still pretty dang good. That's the only way I think they'll win because we'll get to UNLV like your quarterback. They're in Armani Rogers transfer to Ohio or something where there's I don't know what to deal with that. People pumping that up as something big deal, which he wasn't going to start anyways. But also look at UNLV their defense. We saw how bad they got torched last year in those games in secondary, Matt. And so it took them a little while. It took the Bulldogs a little while to put the Rebels away last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year's Rebels are not last year's Rebels. And while I like some of the pieces they have on offense, um, just a, maybe a, a teaser for our future UNLV preview, I don't think it's necessarily going to be pretty on the whole. For either team or just UNLV? Uh, for UNLV. Okay. I agree with you, too. Like, it is Charles Williams, but outside of him, there's not much there, right? Maybe. Uh, I mean, I mean, I like some of their wide receivers. Yeah, I was about to say. And yeah. I think Kenyon Oblad held, you know, mm-hmm. acquitted himself pretty well as quarterback. Which is why I don't necessarily think that losing Rodgers is an especially big oh, loss. Neither do I. I'm just saying people are pumping up in trash. I'm like, why? <laughs> but um, yeah, it's that defense. Yeah, I'll leave it, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, right. the offense has potential to do a few things. Like I said, but Williams needs to have a huge game, and I was going to mention some receivers. But we'll we'll dive deeper in that. We actually talked about the team. Then this is probably their toughest stretch at Utah State, host San Diego State, and then host UNLV. Or excuse me, host San Jose State. I have Utah State as a loss, Same. but. It's interesting because there's a couple reasons why. We've talked about Utah State. They've had a, some big changes too. So if you haven't heard our Aggie podcast or even after it, they have a new quarterback most likely uh, because uh, Henry Columbia transferred to Texas Tech to follow Matt Wells. And that's because former Utah quarterback Jason Shelley is going to Utah State. And he, if you have before, went to the Pac-12 title game two years ago, was fine, not great at, for the Utes. But then Utah State also got Devante, Dante Henry Cole, who was at Utah, went to BYU for a hot second, and is now up in Logan. Him and Jalen Warren, I think it'll be, I'm putting it more toward a toss-up game because of that. But uh, I still have Utah State winning, but it'll be a close one being on the road. And if the running game is as expected, I think Jalen Warren pretty good. Dante Henry Cole was at Utah, but he's behind Zach Moss, who's with the Buffalo Bills right now, so he did get a ton to play. Um and the defense probably should be better with uh, Gary Anderson getting back in a year t- part two, year two, I guess I want to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll be, I think it'll be a close one, but I think Utah State may have a bit more together. Same. All right, San Diego State. I have this as a toss up, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I, for those of you who didn't see Bill Connolly's tweets back in March about how SB Plus kind of sees the season shaking out. Um, he mentioned that, you know, according to SP Plus, that Fresno State has eight relative toss-ups on the mat, on the schedule. That's a lot. Um, and that, I think, is it, it was, rather, Colorado Air Force. Colorado State's at 38%. I don't know if that's in the conversation or not. Uh, Nevada and Hawaii were at 52 and 57%. Uh, Utah State's at 48%. San Diego State is at 47%. So... Um, <laughs> A lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty in how the bulldog season is going to unfold, but the reason that I have Fresno State winning this game 
is because I don't know and I don't have a lot of confidence, at least right now, in whatever the Aztecs' offense is going to look like. I think that you know having to break in a new quarterback is going to be you know a really big challenge for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with you know something to prove in the running game, like you know the, they have a lot of runners coming back, but uh, none of them are have especially covered themselves in glory, shall we say? True. Uh, when they had a chance, and, and I mean Jordan Bird had a breakout game in the New Mexico Bowl, but that's one game, and so he's got to you know he or Chase Jasmine or Kagan Bell or whomever or Kagan Williams, excuse me, uh, or whoever ends up seizing that starting role is going to have to have a lot to prove. To, especially considering the Aztecs' recent history. So while I think it'll be another defensive type of slugfest, I, I think that the Bulldogs will have a harder time moving the ball as they have in the last few years against this Aztecs defense. I think they will have enough to kind of pull it out in the end. And so I have Fresno State winning this game. Last year, we seventeen to 17-7 in favor of uh, San Diego State. A lot of these games, like we mentioned, probably done this years ago, it's like the chokehold San Diego State does. Like they won 23-14 a couple years ago, 27-3, which was a pretty big victory. But like most of the games have been fairly close within two scores, but not a lot of points outside of maybe that uh, 52-40 thrashing, not thrashing, but 92-point total game in back in 2012, which is almost a decade ago. But yeah. you're, I agree with you. Like, the, like you, we said in the ASIC podcast, new quarterback – Running game not consistent. Offensive line lost a couple guys. That's an issue over an offense running game that hasn't been what it was two years ago. Um, but I still think San Jose can get it, but it'll be like a close, close one just because their defense – it's going to be a low-scoring game, I think, per typical. But I think if Fresno's going to get the win, it's because they can get through that secondary or any defensive position on this on the Aztecs. Remember, they got new head coach as well, new defensive co- – or I guess technically a new defensive coordinator there. But just because with uh, Rocky Long stepping down, it's going to be a close one, but I'm leaning towards San Diego State. And then hosting San Jose State, I have as a victory. I have that one as a loss. Oh, man. I, I know you like your Spartans, which we'll probably get to in a week or two because they're the last two teams last. What mm-hmm. would you, what's your reasoning really quick why you have Fresno State not winning over the Spartans? I think both of these teams are in kind of a similar situation, but I think that you know, even despite having to break in a new quarterback that, you know, having Nick Nash returning helps for one. And I think Nick Starkle is, is definitely one of the bigger X factors in the conference, but I, I am optimistic based on kind of the, the track record of, of head coach Brent Brennan and, and offensive coordinator, Kevin McGiven in their ability to develop quarterbacks and to be able to put them in a position to succeed. And when you combine that with the fact that the running game probably can't be any worse than it was last year, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you know, even if they regress a little bit as far as you know, their ability to generate turnovers, like the defense should be able to take a slight step forward. And like I'm not saying they're going to come out and be world beaters. I kind of see both of these teams as being in the same kind of basket where like they're they're both going to be improved off of where they were last year. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm a little rosier on the Spartans, and I think that you know in the same way we talked about it with Colorado State and with Nevada and with Hawaii, mm-hmm. you know I think Fresno State might struggle to contain this offense in a way that you know while they were able to kind of put the brakes on them last year, it would not surprise me if they struggle to do so this year. Yeah, I just I I, I don't say be close, but I just with, with new quarterback like losing um what's oh shoot. 
I just said wrong word, Josh Love, quarterback. It's a big deal. Like maybe Nick Nash whoever can chuck it up to Trey Walker and that's a good enough for offense running game return some guys. But I just think the Spartans will, while they were close to bowl eligibility last year, they'll be close but lose close games. Just mm-hmm. because when you lose that type of quarterback, that's a pretty big deal for a team that relied on him so much last year to keep him competitive in games and shootouts. Like the Arkansas game had a lot of points or other games, lots of points. I'm not sure. At least I don't. Okay. Not that I'm not sure. I don't know if the new quarterback can do that same stuff type of stuff. And that's why I'm leaning toward Fresno State with the victory in this one. That could change my mind after two games, but I haven't seen them play. Nick Nash ran a little bit. He didn't play much. They brought the transfer in from Arkansas. New system, no no playing experience with this team. Just talking and watching film or you know, video conferences, everybody. I just want to see more of it. And then the Spartans defense, they, it's not always that great overall. It's some areas you're going to get passing games usually pretty good um, defensively, but... I think the running game was where they struggled quite a bit, even though it's gotten a touch better the past couple of years. So what's your, what's your final record? Okay. So I think with not counting the cancellations, uh, let's see, one, two, three, I have them at five and five and five. Okay. I have them six and four going five and three in league play. And I have them three and five in conference. Oh boy. So what's bowl eligibility? Do we know yet? <laughs> no. no, I would imagine if they scale the overall length of the season that it will still be like 500 or better. That's what I'm think. thinking. Yeah, so I'm thinking 500 or better. And then you could also have two FCS team count accounts as yeah. well. So we'll, we'll see. It's uh, yeah, six to four. I think they're going to be better than last year. And like if I'm looking at best case scenario, like here's the thing. I'm going to say it and people are not going to like it. All right, well, so, well, no, Fresno fans love this. What are we talking about? I have their three losses as toss-ups. Well, oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, wait. What I have? Wait, hold on. I'm missing You want something. to know what the best-case scenario is? I'm missing a team here. What's the best-case scenario? The best-case scenario is they win the division again. I apologize. I have them at 7-3. Excuse me. Okay. I'm, I'm a kind of 6-4. I have them 7-3 and three, and three games are toss-ups of losses. However, mm-hmm. I have two wins that are toss-ups as well. So sorry, I could finish your thought that I rudely interrupted. No, 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 no worries. I was just, I was just saying, like the 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 upside, the like the ninetieth percentile outcome is that they they win the division because it's you know for as bullish as I am on Nevada, you know there's a chance that their offense frustrates in the same way that they did last year, and that you know bringing in the new defensive coordinator doesn't pan out all the way, and the defense struggles to defend the pass with so many new players on the back end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a chance Hawaii struggles to adapt from the run and shoot to the air raid. There's a chance that, you know, San Diego State's offense anchors its defense kind of like it did a couple of years ago. So, you know, I have them at five and five, but it would not surprise me at all if they won seven or eight games. I can see that. Like my thing, too, like like I, my range here is pretty much pretty wide here, I'd say. Maybe Hawaii should be tossed up, but man, I can see them winning like winning the, winning the division. It's tough. I still think it's Nevada, San Diego State, and maybe even Hawaii above them. But I think uh, Aztecs and um, Wolfpack are my top two. But the tier below them, Fresno's right there, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's where I got seven and three. You had them again. Sorry, what was that? Five and five? Five and five. Okay, five and five. A couple of toss ups. So we'll see how this schedule plays out. We'll have news hopefully this week. Fall camp starts most teams and next week because of the week one games. Um, also, one thing we didn't note, if a team wants to, they can start September 29th. Or excuse me, excuse me, not September 29th. August 29th, week zero. I don't see that being a possibility for Fresno because Idaho State and New Mexico are trying to switch things up a little bit. But 
keep keep touch on Twitter, MWC Wire, because there'll be some news this week. Um, Hawaii's already just saw it right now. Hawaii's pushing back camp a player test positive. We got Fresno pushing camp back. San Diego State in pencil. I don't know, man. I think so. Didn't Colorado State have a guy test positive this week or a couple guys? Uh, not clearly detailed, but someone in the athletic department did. I love it when they keep it so private. Come on, people. Ugh, that's another story for another day. But that's it for today. We have two more previews left, folks. San Jose State and UNLV. To wrap it up, right? Am I correct on those two teams? Did I get it right? You are correct. Okay. And, and I, I promise we won't forget to put up a poll next time. Yeah, we'll put a poll for sure. As a, as a, I'll, I'll blame. I think the blame. I usually do that most of the time. You do sometimes, but I've been doing the last couple. So check us out, MWR.com. We have our offensive previews, our top 50s going on. We're going to have uh, some position group rankings and just uh, some, hopefully some decent stuff to talk about as we wait when the start of college football will begin because it's technically scheduled. Matt, we're in the month of scheduled college football games. I know, right? <laughs> but I'm not happy about it. I'm not excited about it. Are you? I'm, I'm holding my breath. Yeah. I think that's about all I Yeah, that's I'm like, normally, it's, hey, football month here. We got football in 27 days. Well, we have ske- I'll say this. We have scheduled football in 27 days. There you go. All right, so we'll be back next week. Um, yeah, we'll talk to you then, folks, and just uh, keep chugging along. Send us your tweets, whatever you want to do. Chat with us. Agree with us. Uh, you can yell at us, too, like that as well, to fight, too. That's sometimes fun when we get into it occasionally. But uh, we'll see you next time.